I wanted to try and live more in the moment and find joy in the individual days and the individual runs with my friends. I'm Devin Gan, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour Podcast. You are tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour Podcast, your source for great conversations within the snow and avalanche community. I'm your host, Brooke Shiny Edwards. The Avalanche Hour Podcast is proudly presented by Vissen Avalanche Control, safety through innovation. With additional sustaining support from Gordini, we keep you outside longer. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people with a curious fascination of avalanches. I recently caught up with Devin this fall as I was recovering from a transformative surgery that has changed my life. I had the opportunity to become a kidney donor to help out a dear friend in need. After losing so many to the mountains and rivers with no ability to save their lives, to me it was a no-brainer that I would leap at the opportunity to actually save the life of someone I love and keep them here on the planet a little longer to shine their light. Because I wasn't a match with my friend Patrick, the way the system works now is that my DNA was matched within the National Registry and my kidney went to a beautiful human named Carl, a grandfather, father, and husband who had previously been the life of the party, but through kidney disease was faced with just a few short months left to live with his dear wife, Mary. My kidney saved his life and in the weeks that followed that surgery and our meeting, my world has been transformed. Patrick, in turn, got a coupon for a transplant that will match him. I am, now, I am now a proud one kidney donor athlete who will continue to guide and educate the season in the snow, but from an entirely transformed life perspective. With all that time spent healing, I had plenty of time to think about how much transformation our own snow and science industry has done, and how much more there is to do. With that in mind, I chose my interviewees this season in a determination to shine light into the corners of diversity that are drastically underrepresented in the snow and avalanche world. I thought of Devin, a trans female identifying client turned friend who brought, who first sought me out to join an all women's trip to Japan that I guided back in 2020. Prior to the trip, we spoke candidly about how it would be to navigate Japan's onsen culture that separates hot springs into a very binary world, mandating that men and women separate into different nude-oriented public bathing spaces. Devin helped educate myself and the other female-identifying participants on that journey how to be better allies for the trans community. My hope in inviting her here today is that she can help others out there who identify as trans or queer on their journey into what has been a predominantly white male industry. She is currently pursuing her certification to become an area instructor this season. And now a word from the sponsors of this episode. Are you an industry professional looking for a quick and easy way to access pro deals so that you can get the gear to get the job done? The IPA Collective is built for snow professionals with some of the world's best brands available in the program, including the North Face, Osprey, Fisher Skis, Flylow, Smith Optics, Heli Hansen, and many more. They have over 90 brands that will help you be better equipped for your winter work while keeping you comfortable and stylish 24-7. Getting connected with IPA Collective is a simple process that just involves a short registration form at ipacollective.com and then send in your credentials and you'll be good to go. 
The IPA Collective is the only pro program that connects you directly with the brand, so this means no goofing around with third-party providers. This direct relationship allows you better product availability and faster shipping. The IPA staff works seven days a week to ensure your application is reviewed and approved quickly so that you get the gear you need keep you working and playing in the snow. Find out more at www.ipacollective.com. Additional sustaining support for the remainder of season eight of the Avalanche Hour podcast is provided by Open Snow. We've all been there, scrolling through multiple clunky websites and apps full of ads to find all of the snow and weather forecast data to plan your next powder day or high alpine adventure. Well, it might finally be time to retire those other weather apps thanks to Open Snow, your one-stop shop for all of the essential weather tools. View 10-day snow forecasts for any location on Earth, read expert analysis from their team of local forecasters, track incoming storms with current and forecast radar, view snowfall and avalanche forecast maps, compare recent snow conditions at your favorite backcountry and ski resort locations, and much more. Visit opensnow.com to get started with a free trial and enter the discount code AVALANCHEPODCAST at checkout to receive 30% off your first year of Open Snow All Access. Here we go, dropping in with Devin Gone. Hey Devin, thanks so much for driving over from Seattle to join me for this fireside chat. Normally these things are on Zoom, so this is really fun to get to sit by the fire and have a conversation. Yeah, it's so good to see you in person. So good to see you. And thanks for all the unicorn birthday tweets. (laughs) Happy belated birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'd love to start out as we do, just um, hearing about how you grew up and what brought you to the world of snow. Thanks for having me, Brooke. Uh, Again, my name is Devin. Uh, I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. I live in Seattle with my cat Puma and my partner Allie. Um, and I'm a skier and snowboarder pursuing my certification to become an avalanche instructor. Nice. Well, where did it all begin? Where did you grow up? Uh, I don't know if you can tell by my accent, <laughs> but I was actually born in Australia. Uh, <laughs> I quickly moved back to Hong Kong, which is where my family's from. Uh, and we moved here when I was eight years old. And I've lived in Seattle pretty much nonstop ever since. So I don't think as Hong Kong is like the hub of falling in love with snowboarding. So where did your love of uh, snow come from? I remember distinctly my mom asking me one fall what I wanted to do over winter break. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. And I told her I wanted to snowboard. Uh, no one else in my family skis a snowboard. My parents certainly never picked up an interest to do it either. I probably just saw it in a magazine or something and thought it was cool and no, knew nothing more about it. And so I took... Where'd they go? Where'd you go? They signed you me up Hong for... in Hong Kong at this time or...? In, in, in Seattle. Oh, okay. Uh, they signed me up for one lesson up at Crystal Mountain and... Then that was it. I was off and running. Uh, Like I said, they never took an interest in skiing themselves, but they were supportive enough 
to drive me to the mountain. I grew up mainly learning at Snoqualmie Pass. So they would drive me to the mountain, drop me off, let me ski all day. They would go back to Seattle and run errands and work and whatnot, and then come back in the afternoon and evening to pick me back up. Wow, that's amazing support. Yeah. <laughs> what a great family, especially when they didn't do it themselves. That's I know. awesome. And so when did when I met you, you were a ripping snowboarder, of course, already in the backcountry. So what took you from the slopes of Snoqualmie and Crystal Mountain into the backcountry? Because that's always a big jump for people. By the time we had met, I had been snowboarding for over 20 years and have never tried to ski. I jumped right into snowboarding. And it was actually a few years before you and I met when I first went to Japan and had some experience there in the backcountry that really drew me in um, to skiing outside of the resort. Were you having? Were you guided there that, that like brought you into the backcountry? Was that your first time in the backcountry? Yeah, I, we took like a guided trip through one of the ski resorts and it opened my eyes to how great it is to ski powder without a crowd. So I started splitboarding and through my time splitboarding and being in the backcountry, I realized how much more efficient and faster transitions my skier friends uh, had it on a skin track. And so that's when I picked up skiing. Next thing I know, next thing you know, I have a whole quiver of snowboards and a quiver of skis and now I'm in plastic boots. <laughs> right. But did you like, I mean, it's one thing to go guided into the backcountry, and then did you just come back to Seattle? And I mean, how did you, did you take an avalanche course? Like what was your entry point? How did you find the community to go to figure out the backcountry, all of a sudden get the gear, all the things? After that first trip to Japan, I came back and I was all in. I immediately signed up for an avalanche, uh, for a level one avalanche course and picked up some entry level gear and started trying to gain more experience and finding more, trying to talk more friends into doing the same with me. Was that humbling for you to come from the guided experience into like that level one? A lot of people describe the level one as kind of like terrifying. <laughs> what was that like for you? It seemed like it just like open the can to paradise for you. You got off and running. The more experience I gained in the backcountry and with the community, the more I fell in love with it. But absolutely that level one left you with more, I think leaves more people with more questions than answers and more fear of the backcountry than anything else, which I think a, a healthy level of fear uh, and respect for mother nature is very important to stay safe in the backcountry. Yeah. So you still had an evolution because I remember you had a whole career in the tech industry, right? I mean, you were there for what, 11, 12, 15 years in the, in working in tech. So you must've been, were you a weekend warrior? Were you weekend warrioring it out in the snow? I was weekend warrioring it. And then the pandemic hit with auto so we switched to work from home and I had a lot more leeway to <laughs> quote unquote work while from the ski slopes and taking business calls on lifts 
Um, and I just realized how much better it is to not chase the weekends. Um, but in all seriousness, and so began your exodus from the tech world. <laughs> yeah. right? So how has that led you? Like that's the evolution, huh? So you, it was COVID. You started to work from home, and you're like, oh my gosh, why work? Why work in the tech industry at all? And you wanted to be more. What was the next step? You wanted to go more into a world where you could work in the snow world. Yeah, it's so snowboarding, being able to ski and snowboard without the weekend crowds was a definitely was definitely a huge motivator. But years before the pandemic hit, I had already been th thinking about what was next for me. Mm -hmm. I knew that working in tech wasn't my passion. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic really drove it home and made me realize what I was doing wasn't serving me and I wasn't doing really work that was serving others. You know, tracking where Instapots are isn't helping the world <laughs> uh, and it wasn't helping me. So that's, that was kind of the final straw that made me realize um, that I could be using my time better. Yeah, I remember that you and I have had some discussions around um, social media and, and you know, <laughs> being that we used to have a client guide relationship that turned friendship, but I know that lots of my clients always have been like, oh, the guide life is so amazing. And what you see on social media is just like, you know, all snow all the time, all mountains. Like how did social media play into your decision to like leave your nine to five job and pursue like that guide dream? Social media is kind of puts the blinders on you, right? You people only post the best runs, the biggest pow slashes. It looks like skiers on social media is only skied perfect untracked pow, um, and it definitely drew me in. But honestly, seeing and meeting people like yourself made me realize that I there's another path besides the corporate world and I could pursue my passions and be happy and but actually meeting people like yourself but really motivated me and inspired me and made me realize that I could be living a very happy life, pursuing my passions. Oh, thanks, Devin. <laughs> so where are you at now in relation to the snow industry? I, so after I left the tech world, I was pretty, I was, and I was pretty open. It was all pretty open-ended. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to spend more time outdoors. I knew I wanted my next career to be following more of my, my passions. And I definitely considered getting down the guiding track. Mm -hmm. um, and I really jumped in hard on trying to live that ski bum life at like 37 years old. <laughs> what was that experience like? It was fun. And then I quickly found after a couple of seasons and I, it was super fun. I hit my first hundred day season and met some great friends and built a much bigger backcountry and skiing, snowboarding community. So that was all great. But 
But after a couple of seasons of that, I realized that actually wasn't the right balance for me. Um, chasing that 100-day really kind of fueled the FOMO, um, the feeling of FOMO in terms of skiing. Can you explain that more? Like what? After a couple of years of living that lifestyle, I realized that it really wasn't hitting the right life balance for me in terms of time on the slopes versus time pursuing my other passions and um, spending time with my non-skier friends and my family and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this heavy push in, I feel like in the ski and snowboard community to ski as many days as possible. Mm -hmm. And then you have that social media push to try and log as many turns as possible, as many uh, powder days as you possibly can. And I found myself trapped in this cycle of um, pushing for quantity more than quality. Mm. Go, 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 shred, shred, shred. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know, you probably remember I called you early um, in the season last year yeah to talk about this which was that i wanted to try and live more in the moment and find joy in the individual days and the individual runs with my friends and more authentically i remember it was it was such a cool conversation because i remember you feeling you almost felt guilty for not going to the mountain because you felt like you had to in order to be accepted in the ski culture like you had to go and I was like you don't have to go if you're not feeling it like it's more important to be authentically you that's right I remember now it was <laughs> mid-December like, when go? I called you I don't because want to go. <laughs> it was mid-December when I called you the season had started early last year and I had pretty much been going hard every day since opening day right right and i suddenly felt burnt out mm -hmm. and i was shocked by the fact that <laughs> i was feeling burnt out by skiing and snowboarding and it kind of freaked me out so i reached out to you because that's who you are in my life um i was like and, stay home draw <laughs> yeah and so i a couple of things that i've been doing um I've been muting and removing ski and snowboard related content off my show to social media. Mm. And I've made it a uh, intentional point to not count days. Mm, that's healthy. Because if we're counting days, what's your target day of 100 days or 80 days? If you don't hit that, then does that mean you didn't have a good season? Right. And who's, who really cares when, when you pass? Are they going to say... Well, that Devin, she only had 80 days that last year of her life. So Yeah, so if you hit 100 days one season and the next you only get 80, mm -hmm. does that mean that you didn't have as good a season as the previous? Absolutely not, yeah. So yeah. those are the, so in the last couple of years, I've been trying to live more in the moment and shift my, shift my mindset and how I find joy through skiing and snowboarding. Mm -hmm. uh, by focusing more on the individual days and the people I'm with rather than focusing on the quantity 
of times I'm being out there. Wise words. I'm going to take a page from your book. <laughs> so in, in that time that you, now you've spent so many years, um, navigating the mountains and I'm wondering if you've had any near misses that you want to share with any of us. The biggest near miss was with you. Miss me? What are you talking about? You don't remember? We can't talk about this. <laughs> Do you no, want to talk I about it? No, I don't remember. What are you talking Do about? Do you want to talk about this? I don't know. Which trip are you talking about? This was in Alaska. It was actually... Well, we've been on a couple of trips. In we've been on a lot of times. This was, this was heli skiing in Alaska. Okay. Up in Valdez. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was the third or fourth day. So... We had all gotten used to each other in terms of the crew and this was late in the day. And so we have, we were warmed up and we were excited. I think this was one of the better days that we had in terms of snow conditions. Um, and I remember coming down one run and hitting this little mini feature um, in a goalie and seeing the snow break off into plates underneath my feet. Um, luckily, I was able to find an escape route um, and wait for the snow to pass. And I remember feeling pretty calm in the moment. I rode down the rest of the way, and as soon as I got to the meeting point and took my board off, my knees were shaking, and I don't know if I've ever experienced my knees shake literally I thought that was a metaphor when people say that I got so nervous, my knees were shaking. Uh -huh. My knees were literally shaking. Um, but that was a huge lesson for me um, because I feel like I'm all, all, I, up to that point, I was only looking at the mountains in terms of broad strokes. What is generally, what aspect is, uh, is this run on? But I triggered that avalanche because I hit a micro aspect a micro feature that happened to be facing a different direction and getting uh, being impacted. Oh, I totally by remember now. Effect. This whole time I was like, where was it? Where was it? Now I can completely picture. Yep, exactly. You went, you carved up onto, and it, it instantly changed the aspect of the slope. And it was that aspect that we were worried about. Yeah. So yeah, I got scary. a very good lesson and got out of it very lucky. That's amazing. I'm glad you got out. Me too. Especially because I was your guy that day. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> my felt extra bad. <laughs> I was. It was one of the being in the backcountry is strange, right? Because every time we go out and we come home, we get this false, almost a po false positive affirmation that we did things right. But really, we we just got lucky. Well, and we both learned that day because now I vividly remember that, and I was specifically trying to keep. It was a it was a very half pipe. Um, almost like micro couloir goalied feature. And so I remember knowing that the problem of the day existed. Um, it was the warmest day of the winter uh, yeah. of, of the heli season, I think. Uh huh. And so it was on that, um, there was a little more sun up on that. I don't even remember which direction it was, but I remember like all the, you I think went last. And so all the previous lines had taken up all the shaded aspects um, in the heart of the gully and you being the awesome snowboarder that you are rode up on that wall. And so I kind of, I learned a lot as a guide. I was just like, Oh, 
I, I should have set the track further over. Like uh, we knew that that was an aspect. Like I should have taken the fact that this goalie, this half pipe has three different, um, aspects to it and they're going to react differently depending on the avalanche problem of the day. So that was, I don't know. I just, I remember being a little surprised and shocked and then feeling like it was a really cheap lesson that we both were able to receive in that moment. And I'm glad everybody was okay. Actually to refresh your memory, that day was one of the other guy's birthday and he was taking, we were giving him first run oh, yeah. all day long uh-huh. and I knew that goalie was there and I wanted to hit that. Uh-huh. Um, so I had asked him at the end of the day if I could go first. So that was the first oh, run first. Okay. that he didn't go first. And part of me, I've always thought, wow, like, Maybe, would things have turned out differently if it was somebody else? Mm, mm-hmm. right? Someone not saying that I'm well, you more experienced and more skilled, yeah. but different person could have made a different decision mm-hmm. and the outcome could have been different. That's so true. I'm just glad that everything worked out. Yeah. Wonderful. And when, uh, when I came to know you, um, you're one of those beautiful success stories in, in my world of like a client that's become a friend over the years, Yeah, <laughs> which is so awesome. And I love our journey. And I, I think actually I'd love to tell the story about, um, the first trip that we met on, because I feel like there's a lot of learning lessons that came out from that trip. So, um, back in 2020, I had designed an all women's trip to Japan to, um, explore and ski Hokkaido. Right. And, um, and you were interested in joining. And can you tell the side of like, when you reached out, you reached out to the company who I was running the trip through. Yeah, I was doing a lot of research. Um, and there was a lot of options. So first of all, it was just incredibly overwhelming to figure out which company to go with, where to go. Um, but when I saw your trip, um, I was very interested, but I was also very hesitant to join. Um, as a trans person, uh, I'm just never sure whether or not I'm welcome in um, female and women's spaces. And so for me, I had to email the company and I believe that they, their offices reached out to you and to get quote unquote approval from you on whether or not I could join your trip. Right. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, of course, of course you can join. Um, and then I started to think about like, well, the, the way that we organize each of our backcountry days is, you know, we ski in the backcountry and then every day part of the tour is we end at a different onsen every day, which are the Japanese hot springs. And then I actually started to think about it and I was like, oh my gosh, the, the way that culture is set up is so binary. It's, um, the onsens are divided in, um, male and female onsens and they're nude typically. And, um, and you can't wear bathing suits. And that's part of that the way that the Japanese culture has set out for those onsens that are like public baths. It's part of their culture. And so that was my first thought I remember is, is reaching out to you and saying like, okay, um, what are your thoughts on this? I know that we, this is like part of every day. Like what I'm going to, 
like, what are you going to do during that onsen time? Like, how are you going to navigate that space? Because honestly, I was like, curious. I didn't, I didn't actually know how, how we would navigate that together. And, um, I remember, I think just asking you in an email, if that was going to be an okay itinerary for you. I think as a trans person and, uh, you know, speaking for the community and through my own experience, trans people are always weighing and making decisions about travel about everyday life. Um, I have, you know, and deciding having to make decisions to skip out on certain things, just like you were talking about. Um, I, before I booked the trip with you, I had some experience traveling in Japan and I knew the, the um, what the culture was like. I knew what the etiquette, uh, the expectations and setup of the onsens were. And I had already in my mind crossed out going to onsens as a possible event for me. So I was already ready to not join in on any of the onsen activities. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason why the trip went out so well and why we're still friends today is because allies like yourself, you were thinking about that. Um, in advance. Well, what I thought was so cool is what started with those first emails that we sent back and forth to each other is that um, I really, really wanted you to come. And I really um, started to think about my own language and advertising the trip because I hadn't advertised it as people identifying as female, you know, which is more the language that we're trying to utilize now to be more inclusive. I'd advertise it as a women's backcountry trip. And so for you to reach out and have the courage to reach out, that just meant so much to me. And I thought I want to do everything in my power to, to make this an inclusive space. And what was so cool is that the other participants that came were um, equally excited to just really welcome you in and to learn from you. And I'll never forget like you sharing with us that, that not just your travels in Japan, but how much you've loved to travel the world. You grew up internationally. And yet that for you, that world travels, like sometimes you have to research where you're going in the world because there's countries that would kill you if they found out you're trans. And to me, that just, that my jaw dropped just to think about that world through those that lens of like, wow, I have the privilege of, I mean, I guess I have to think about where I'm going as a, as a female identifying person in some cultures, but, but that's a whole other level of fear and limitation set on world travel, you know, that you have to, that's added to your plate that I hadn't even thought of, you know. But really though, it's not just world travel and traveling internationally, right? It's, there's, there are more things I think about now just on a day-to-day -day basis and traveling within my home country of the U.S. Mm. Um, because, you know, right. we love the outdoors. Right. And so where we, when we go to the places to um, do the activities that we love, we're entering into rural conservative places. Mm. Um, so I am always making a decision and having to decide which bathrooms should I use, mm. right? Um, which people do I, um, come out to, mm -hmm. um, 
no, I have a deep voice. I transition um, late. I'm not always passable, depending on how I decide to dress. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, take that um, Japan trip. Mm-hmm. Before I met uh, met up with y'all, mm-hmm. I had been on other guided trips in other parts of Japan, mm-hmm. um, and most of which I didn't come out to them um, as as far as my gender identity mm-hmm. and. I really waited and just let people perceive me as male mm-hmm. uh, for my own personal safety, mm. right? And mm-hmm. then it wasn't until there are select individuals that I've befriended and learned to trust. And uh, so like, I'm not just gauging, hey, does this other person have shared interests? Mm-hmm. I'm also always looking for cues in terms of how they view the rest of the world and whether or not they're potentially a progressive minded person right. that is a, that could be an ally or if I'm running into like running into a potential issue um, if I come out. And do you remember, I mean, how does it feel when, does it feel scary to you? I mean, I remember on our trip, um, there was another guide even from the same company, unfortunately, that skied up to us and, and was like, I thought this was an all women's trip. Why is he on this trip? Do you remember that? Like, oh no, I thought I had a great time on that. I didn't think I ran into any issues on when we were maybe together. I like intercepted him, but it was like, I just remember there was <clears throat> this one guide, and it happened again. Same guide actually. At um, I was like, no, she is on this women's trip. Like this is that's where she belongs. And then same guide came out to us at your birthday party at the guide house, and he. Um, he kept I he kept asking whose birthday it was and I said it's her birthday. It's Devin's birthday and he kept saying, "Oh, it's his birthday. It's his birthday." Do you remember this? <laughs> no, um you probably shielded me from it. Oh my god, but- I totally did cuz it was so awful to me like I never wanted to punch another and I couldn't believe that this was a coworker of mine. But it it made me so angry and so like I think I probably did shield you from it in the moment because it just terrified me uh, after the week that we'd had. And it was like, we'd had such a fun week. And that group of um, female identifying people that we were with um, were so inclusive of you. And we'd even rented a private onsen and we'd all just felt like such a crew. And for this guy to be trying to discount your experience as part of my crew, it just pissed me off to no end. So, I mean, I'm glad that in the moment, sorry, I'm telling you this now, <laughs> but so I guess it didn't scare you then, but, um, have you had other experiences like that in like these rural places when you've gone to recreate and somebody's like been an asshole to you and like confronted you in, in that way? It's like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is it to you? Who cares what she or he is doing in your mind? Like, I didn't understand why his panties were all in a bundle to begin with, you know? I think you know this about me and you know, and a lot of my friends will say that I'm a pretty outgoing person and I'm pretty open to share my experiences with people. But with strangers, I'm really guarded. Um, and that really is all surrounding my gender identity, right? Uh, so I don't run into that type of problem a lot in my day-to-day experience because I'm so guarded, mm. right? Um, it's, there's part of me that wish I 
was 100% passing. But mm-hmm. there is part of me that knows the fact that I'm not passing is like a protective layer. Mm. Um, and I don't need to peel that layer, peel back that layer for anyone until I feel safe and comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. But that is also a barrier for me to meeting new friends and really getting to truly be myself. Um, because at the end of the day, I want to be myself, but I got to look out for my own personal safety, right? Mm-hmm. But I do want to say, like, thank you so much. I have, my heart kind of like sunk as you told me that story mm. because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And even though that was you know, quite, a, quite some time ago, I can still... I feel like I jumped right back into that moment mm. and uh, my heart sinks because I, could, I couldn't imagine uh, being in that moment and not having an ally or having a friend um, step in and protect me from that. And mm. I think so. A, a question that gets asked a lot from people um, outside of the trans community, outside of the queer community is how to be a better ally. Exactly. That's what I want to know. I think there's tons of there's a, there's a lot of things anyone can do, you know, donating to causes, um, showing up to pride. But the thing that may be most impactful as an individual to another individual is when you see an opportunity to protect someone, mm. um, to take that chance to do it, um, especially someone you know. Right, and to shield them from those type of interactions. Um, no, I couldn't thank you enough hmm. for for doing that. Um, My pleasure. And I'm wondering, like, what else we can learn? I know a lot of folks listening um, work for guiding organizations, for example, and thinking about that whole trip from start to finish. Um, you know, now. Um, you know, I think I operate my own business and I think about like, oh, even on my like intake forms, you know, like, oh, I should ask, I should ask people's pronoun preference, you know, things like that. Like just going back through all our registration forms, you know, thinking about where are all the different places within a guiding organization that they can start opening that door in that. And, you know, for people who work at resorts, for people who work, um, at forecast centers, you know, like for people who work in the guiding organization, like what are some different entry level points where we can start equalizing that playing field to make it a safe space, to make it feel like you don't have to like utilize the privilege of hiding behind your shield of, of perhaps maybe some people wouldn't know how to identify you. I think the most starting point is so whether it is a guiding company or avalanche education or any type of program, outdoor programming um, that's public facing, your first point of interaction is most likely either social media or your website, right? Food and internet and more inclusive language and clearly stating your stance in terms of inclusivity mm. is huge, right? Um, then you don't put the onus, like in my situation, of having to reach out to each of these companies and trying to gauge my whether or not I am allowed into that space. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Um, and, and then more of the background, uh, something in the background that can be done would be more training from leadership mm-hmm. um, on down to staff and guide and whatnot uh, so that folks are more aware of how to, what are the etiquettes, how to ask for pronouns, mm-hmm. how to interact and ask questions politely. Yeah. I feel like diversity and inclusion are like such buzzwords across all the different industries these times, but people, they can throw around those words, but then the, the stumbling block is always the same as like, okay, well, you know, what does that look like in, in terms of actionable items? And, and so I think of the spaces that like you're saying, Oh, avalanche education. That's a great one because, um, a good segue into like where you started to go with your life, right? You were in tech and then you started to like pursue this like life of a snowboarder and you thought about becoming a guide yourself. Like was part of your drive to thinking about becoming a guide or an avalanche instructor to, to be like representation for other trans folks coming up in the community, other queer folks, like making it accessible by being that guide or being that educator yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really my, maybe my biggest motivation is to be, just act as representation. Mm. Um, there's, you know, I... Well, and you're also BIPOC, so you're just knocking it out of the park in the representation. <laughs> I check a lot of boxes, I guess. <laughs> Way to go, identity. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. You no, know, growing up, if... I had, had a chance to see more people that looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I would have made different decisions earlier on, earlier on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe now if people know that there's a trans BIPOC person that is teaching an AVI course, that someone who's also in those communities feels safer that it, in joining those uh, same spaces. Mm. When is that what has helped you feel so comfortable being out in your identity is just knowing that you're helping others by o- opening the door, by being out and visible? Yeah, there are days where I feel stronger and more confident mm-hmm. in doing so. Um, imposter syndrome is creeps in mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways for me. Um, so there are days where I feel less confident in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, it is still what motivates me is, you know, to be representation for folks that share uh, similar experiences than I do outside of skiing. I thought you just wanted to be a guide and educator because you wanted to grow up like me. <laughs> you are a uh, you, well. You've been a big mentor for me, and that was sure inspiration. To get I wasn't fishing for accolades. <laughs> no, but I have. I actually have. I mean, all joking aside, I've like loved that transition for us from client to friendship because it. I feel like it happened within the the quick journey of the trip, the first trip to Japan, and then when I became a heli ski guide, you were the first, you were the very first person to book. (laughs) And then when I advertised a boat ski trip, you were the very first person again to book. And so to me, I was just like, yes, my friend Devin is coming. And it gave me confidence in those spaces of trying these new trips, trying these new 
um, things that I hadn't been a heli guide that first year that you booked for me. And it gave me confidence to be like, well, at least I'm guiding my friend. So I know that she and I are going to have a great time no matter what, <laughs> no matter if I choose the wrong run or the snow's bad. I know. And the snow was bad. I remember it wasn't, it wasn't great when you came heli skiing with me, right? It was a little bit breakable. But we, it was pretty much, everything was pretty windblown. It was so windblown, but we laughed pretty hard, right? We still got a ton of vertical. We had a great time. And uh, we had some pretty funny other guys with us too. <laughs> but I feel like, I feel very lucky in that on the trips that, up, absolutely the trips that you and I have been on together and other communities that I have met have been so supportive, right? Without... Each each six, each supportive experience and positive each supportive and positive experience that I've had has given me more confidence to take that next step. Which for you, it was going to be guiding, right? Have you have you ruled out guiding or what? Like what? Tell me about your decision making process and like, you know, that's a big step to leave the tech world. You're probably not the only one who's done that to be like, I know, I'm going to follow my passion of snowboarding. Um, and just tell me where that decision led you and, and where you are, you know, what was the trajectory and where are you at now with it? I think I was, I didn't leave tech with a very specific, well-formed plan on what I was going to do. It was just this general idea of go do something you're more passionate about. Um, and where I've landed is i think my passions lie more in the education side of things um so um i'm going i've been going through the area professional track in this season i'll be taking the instructor training course so i can be certified to teach area courses cool um, and i think i'm pretty happy with that i don't think that at this moment i'm going to be going through the guide track mm -hmm. because the guiding side just isn't as interesting to me. Um, and it's something I've spent a lot more time pursuing uh, arts that I really pushed aside. I actually, before my, the first time I went to college, my intended major was to be a graphic designer. And I pushed that aside to um, pursue business. And so now I'm almost 40. And I'm back in school for graphic design. Awesome. And it's great. Do you think, will your love of snow interact with your graphic design? Has it already? I hope so. I think there's arts and outdoors. There's easy connections awesome. there. Right? Be cool. We're going to make some awesome t-shirts together. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there'll be unicorns involved. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> if I have anything to do with it. Awesome. Well... I have loved just sharing this conversation with you as I do anytime we sit around a fire. <laughs> we usually don't have microphones in front of us. Yeah. But it's so lovely to see you. It's so lovely to catch up. Um, are there any parting thoughts you have on, um, you've brought us so many great ideas today about how to be a better ally. Um, anything lasting comments you want to leave to the snow science and avalanche world on, on how we can be more inclusive? And reach out to more diversity well i think it's something i really want to say is that when you have an opportunity 
to interact with someone from a social group that is different from yours, um, and they're willing to share, absolutely listen and be genuine in your curiosity. If you ask politely, they might share their background and their stories with you. Uh, but also, it's, I think it's really important to know that some of those folks might not be comfortable sharing with you, and it's not something that's personal to you, it's just how that person is. And if they don't feel like sharing, that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Devin, and um, best of luck to you on your instructor training course. I think you're going to make such an awesome avalanche educator, and the world is going to benefit from your knowledge. So thanks for joining me here tonight and thanks, on Brooke. the show. Yeah, take care. Thanks, Brooke. <laughs> Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Devin as much as I did. It was sure fun to catch up with her over here in Wenatchee. If you're curious to learn more about Devin's journey, give her a follow over at Instagram at at DevinLG. And while you're at it, go ahead and give the Avalanche Hour podcast a follow too on Facebook and Instagram. Or if you'd like to give us any feedback at all, go ahead and send us an email at theavalanchehourpodcast at gmail.com. In need of some new gloves, socks, or goggles? Go check out Gordini.com and use the code THEAVALANCHEHOUR10 to get 10% off and free shipping on your next order. Are you an industry professional? Gain access to even deeper discounts on Gordini products through Expert Voice. Music for this episode was provided by Ketza at ketza.uk. Artwork was created by Mike T, whose work can be found over at his website, MikeT.com. A big shout out to Cameron Griffin and Caleb Merrill for producing this show and for inviting me once again to guest host. Until next time, get out there, shrop that lovey love, and just remember, we are all in this together.